You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and find verse 5. We'll be in a handful of Proverbs this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, if you're new, welcome to Citizens Church. My name's Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're watching online, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. Uh, this will be our last uh, sermon in the Wisdom series. I know I've been saying that it's coming to a close for six months now, but it actually will come to a close. Next uh, Sunday, we'll start the book of Titus. And so if you wanted to spend this week uh, reading some of Titus and uh, getting acclimated to that book, uh, I'll start Titus next week. Uh, But this morning, we'll conclude our wisdom series. Here's what happened. Uh, It's July of 2021. So maybe remember with me what was happening in the world in July of 2021. Uh, And I had a question to answer. Uh, And the question was, what is our next sermon series going to be starting in 2022. So we had the rest of 2021 calendared already. That fall, if you were here, we did a series on our church called Belonging, and we walked through our church's values and did a member renewal. Uh, That December, we did Advent, which is what we do every year in December. Uh, But then we had no plan, and by we, I mean I had no plan for 2022. There's a, a, a document that we have. It's just a spreadsheet that we use, and it has every single Sunday for the next couple of years uh, calendared out. And we had through December calendared out. And once you got to 2022, it was just, just a bunch of empty cells in the spreadsheet. And I felt the burden of empty cells. And so I um, set aside a week to go and consider the question of what we were going to do, what the next sermon series would be. And so I went to a coffee shop, because that's where the Lord meets me, somewhere in all the caffeine. I hear his voice, and I'm sitting in a coffee shop in July of 2021, and I'm asking, what should we preach next? Uh, Here's what was true about me uh, in July of 2021, sitting in that coffee shop. Uh, I was really tired, uh, and I was pretty discouraged. You know, we were still kind of as a church crawling out of COVID at that point, and our church was about to turn two years old, and those two years had been a lot. (laughs) Um, It'd been a lot of crisis and a lot of division and a lot of unexpected challenges. A lot of people had left our church, Um, and it was marked by some really painful losses, tragedy, death, that even just thinking of them, I could cry now. They shook me, and they hurt me, and... Um, So I was in that coffee shop, and where I was was tired and sad and maybe even a bit uh, numb. And I'm wondering, if I could be candid, I'm I'm wondering this question. um, Do I have what it takes to keep doing this? Like, if I could just uh, uh, let you into the climate of my heart in that moment with all of its doubt and all of its fatigue and all of its insecurity, I just felt so deeply that what my life required of me was more than what I had to give. Have you ever felt that? And I needed something from the Lord. And around that time, I had uh, voices in my life, mentors, counselors, helping me dig into all of that. And uh, I was reading books and reading God's Word. And and what I kind of knew, what I was beginning to discover is that one of the things I needed, one of the maybe the most uh, glaring things that I needed was wisdom. 
And, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of other ways to answer the question, but what I was being told from others was that I needed wisdom. What I felt like I was being told by God is that the thing I didn't have enough of that I needed more of was wisdom. And that's as a pastor and as a husband and as a parent. If I was going to keep going in life, what I would need was wisdom to help me get there. And so then I had a problem in the coffee shop. Um, I needed time to spend with wisdom but I also had to figure out what the 2022 sermon series was going to be. Uh, and I knew I couldn't do both. I don't have the, I'm not that kind of, of guy that can, I don't have the margin or the capacity to be studying more than one thing at a time. I just don't. And so I had to figure out what the sermon would be and I had to figure out how to get wisdom into my life. And I knew I couldn't spend time learning wisdom and also spend time preaching another book of the Bible. So I made a selfish decision. <laughs> I said, let's do a sermon series on wisdom because if I'm preaching it, then it's going to force me to study it. It's going to be this mechanism like this, uh, like this uh, you know, gift that God uses to keep me chained to wisdom and burdened by it in a good way. Um, and maybe God would be so kind to meet me with wisdom and, and give me the wisdom I needed for the things that he's entrusted to me. And I knew it was kind of a dangerous thing to preach a sermon series on wisdom for the sole purpose of knowing how foolish you are, like to stand on a Sunday, and this is what's happened, to share truth that I just learned, that haven't really had time to take root in my heart, not to teach wisdom as much as to process it in a room full of people together. And I knew I'd be signing up for a lot of Sundays where the messenger felt really far from the message. But I thought, uh, maybe I'm not the only one who needs wisdom. Uh, maybe the people of Citizens Church need it as much as their pastor does. And what if God would meet us together in that? And so I'm in the coffee shop and I text Adam and Bleeker and I said, hey, I think we're going to do a series on wisdom starting in January. What do you think? And Bleeker hearted it, which was disappointing. I was, <laughs> I was kind of hoping for a little bit more than that. I felt lazy. Um, <laughs> and then Adam uh, sent that Chuck Norris thumbs up gif. You know that one? I think it's from uh, Dodgeball or something. Uh, and I was hoping for something from him a little bit more spiritual than that. But uh, I took that as a, as a thumbs up from God. And so on January 23rd, 2022, we started a wisdom series called Wisdom and Wonder. How many of you were here for the beginning of that series? Okay. I need you to know something. Just looking out at you, it worked. You look wiser. If you didn't raise your hand, you're still wise, just not as wise. Uh, so today is April 30th, 2023, almost a year and a half since we started. And this is our last Sunday in the series. And here's what I want to do. I just want to use this time to look back and offer again what God has taught us, how wisdom has spoken to us. All of this will be repeat. If you've been here for all of it, it will all be things that you've already heard before. Um, and I really hope this doesn't feel like seven different sermons. I tried to make sure it didn't feel that way, but I think it might. Um, but, but really, as I sat with it this week, the question I kind of asked is not just what has God taught me and what has God taught us, but really, uh, what, do I, uh, what do I just want one more chance to say one more time? And so here's the answer to that question. Wisdom, here's the first thing. Wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is God's world. 
uh, and he has made this world in accordance with his wisdom. Proverbs 8, that Robin read for us is wisdom personified, and wisdom's going to say that, that it was by me and through me that God formed this world. And so he has wired wisdom into his world. And you know, there's a couple of ways to be a fool. It's foolish to believe I'm living in my world when it's God's world. It's also foolish to believe that I can live in God's world my way. The wise, it says, in all your ways acknowledge him. With regard to every part of life, the wise acknowledge God. The wise live in God's world, God's way. That's our definition for wisdom. Wisdom has a posture. It's low. We grow wise as we are humble. We'll spend a little bit more time here. Proverbs 4, 7 says this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Who misses wisdom? You might think it's those who never hear it. Well, the problem with that is wisdom cries out in the streets. Wisdom goes to the corner, right? Wisdom goes to the marketplace. Wisdom's going to find the busiest place with all of the people. It's going to, wisdom's going to let her voice be made known. And so it's not that some hear and others don't. It's that there's lots of people here, but not everyone who hears wisdom becomes wise. Hear it again. Wisdom is not about information. The fool is not uninformed. The fool is unchanged by what they know. Uh, we have know plenty of people, and I've been one of them, that is good with information but bad at life. Information doesn't make us wise. So how does that happen? How does somebody hear wisdom? Maybe even know wisdom well enough to teach it to others, and yet they themselves remain unchanged. Well, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. And what that means is the starting place is a person who says for themselves, not everyone around them, but says for themselves, I need it. I need, I'm desperate for wisdom. Not I understand it. Not I like hearing about it. Not I can teach it. But without it, I'm foolish. I need it for me. So remember, wisdom is like that, um, this was a year and a half ago. It's like that pure spring that flows in the ground. Like uh, imagine with me that, that, we're, that I'm in a desert and, and I find I'm, I'm parched and I am uh, in need of water and I stumble on this stream of pure water that's flowing in the ground, right? Not bubbling up out of the ground, but flowing like embedded in the ground. And the only way to get it is to get on the ground, to lower myself and to drink, hands and knees, and to put my face in the water. And here's what I could do if I stumble upon that stream. I could stand on my feet, and I could point and say, wow, that looks like really good water. I could stand on my feet, and I could think in my mind of a list of all the thirsty people I know who really need to come drink this water, thirstier than I am, right? I can stand on my feet and I can write a devotional about how great the water is. I can stand on my feet and I can tell myself how unworthy I am to drink. And in all of that, you know what I'll never know? I'll never know what it tastes like. Because I never got off my feet. And the only way to drink, the only way to quench the thirst is to get on the ground, is to say, I need this. And not just the knowledge of the need, but the action that corresponds with that belief and that conviction that lowers myself to get on the ground, to put my face in the water. And hear me, wisdom is the water, my friend. You can't grow wise on your feet. You have to assume wisdom's posture, and wisdom's posture is low. Proverbs names four types of fools who miss wisdom, and they miss wisdom because they never assume wisdom's posture. They miss it in different ways, but all of it is foolishness. So the simple 
finds wisdom, gets really excited about wisdom, but they never stay with wisdom. They get excited about wisdom, but like a child with a short attention span, they leave wisdom as soon as foolishness comes along and is more exciting. The scoffer misses wisdom because they hate it. They hate wisdom and they hate the wise. They're abusive. They're, uh, the, they're pride personified, so full of rage and folly, they attack wisdom. The sluggard misses wisdom because he makes small surrenders in the wrong direction. Wisdom is always tomorrow's plan. I'll drink tomorrow, and then tomorrow never comes. The stubborn misses wisdom because they believe they already have it. They're wise in their own eyes, and so they see the water, and they assume the posture of teacher when what they needed to be was the posture of learner. They've all stayed on their feet. Here's what's worth considering, especially those of you who raised your hands. Just sitting in church hearing wisdom sermons does not make us wise even if it's been over a year. And what happens is in a space like this, even, even now, whether you've been here, it's your first Sunday or whether you were here for all of it, uh, there's a lot of on our feet kind of thinking that can happen. What I can do is I can sit in the sermon and I can think of everyone else who needs to hear it more than I do. And that leaves me on my feet. I can sit and I can think of all I have to do later today. You're probably busy later today. And I can think of all that I have to do. But what that means is, it means where I think I most need to be is in the future instead of right here in the present where God has me. And that's on my feet thinking. I can be really moved by wisdom, but as soon as I leave, the emotion fades and I leave wisdom behind. I can sit and feel so condemned and listen to a voice of shame telling me how foolish I am. And I can leave hating myself and that's still me on my feet. There's a version of that for me. I've said this before. The goal is not wise sermons. The goal is to be a wise person. And if wisdom makes it into my sermons, but it doesn't make it into my life, then I've stayed on my feet, and very soon I'll be back in a coffee shop waiting for God to give me what he's already offered. But the good news, the good news, oh, if in all that, like even if there's just a shred in your soul that God has lowered you, if there's just any sort of sense that I need wisdom, right? Like not everyone else needs this, not I know a lot about this, not I enjoy hearing about this, but Lord, make me wise. If there's a sense that I need this, then we're on our way. That means wisdom's already at work. Praise God. Because the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, get wisdom. And what God has taught me, what he's inviting me and us into is living low. Look, not just moments where I'm humbled, but a life on the ground, a life of living not in pride on my feet, but to live on the ground in humility where wisdom is. Because the heart of the fool is, um, I have so much to say. The heart of the wise is, I have so much to learn. I've got so much to grow in. Wisdom has a posture, it's low. Uh, here's another thing wisdom taught me. Don't be afraid of God. Fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You can't preach a series on wisdom and not talk about the fear of the Lord. Because if you were to ask the Bible, if you were to ask God, what, how do you start with wisdom? The beginning of wisdom, the starting place of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But with that comes a challenge uh, because of the word fear. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? In fact, you've got all over the Bible different places where it will say, don't be afraid. The most common command in all scripture, you know what it is? Fear not. Don't be afraid. 
You have uh, Jesus telling his disciples a handful of time. He rebukes them for their fear. And so how do we make sense of that? Is the Bible saying, you know, there's a, there's a part of the Bible where it's like, okay, don't be afraid. But then if you want to be wise, you have to learn to fear the Lord. And what I learned from wisdom, how we make sense of that, is that there is a kind of fear that makes you foolish, and then there's a kind of fear that makes you wise. Uh, I learned that there's a kind of foolish fear where I'm so afraid of life that I ignore God. I'm so in my head and in my thoughts and in my worry about all the things that I fear, whether real or just perceived, that I live my life oriented not around God, but around the things I'm afraid of. I learned there's a kind of foolish fear where I am so afraid of God that I run from him. I distance from him. And then there's a fear that makes you wise, and it's the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is hard to define, but it's really easy to see. It's really easy to spot because the fear of the Lord is marked by moving closer to God, a pursuit of God, where I'm so in awe of the greatness and grace of God that I move towards him in all my life. The fear that makes you foolish is any fear that moves you from God. The fear of the Lord is the fear that draws you closer to him. You see this in Scripture God invites people to move towards him, to turn towards him. And he invites them to do this. This is amazing in their sin, in, in, the, in, the, in their worst moments of life, when they've committed great evil against God. 1 Samuel 12, 20, 21 and 24 says this. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. There's the command again. It's all over scripture. Even though you've committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. Above all, what? Fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. In that passage, you have the kind of fear that makes you foolish and the kind of fear that makes you wise. Don't be afraid of God, Samuel says. And what would it look like to be afraid of God? To turn away from him, to stop worshiping him to follow worthless things, to move from him, to run from him. Above all, fear the Lord. Well, what would it look like to fear the Lord? To come in close, to worship him faithfully with all your heart, to think about the great things he has done. Don't be afraid of God. Fear the Lord. Even in sin, even in our worst moments, even when we've messed up, the fear of the Lord invites us by God's grace to come close to him. We have a rule in our house, the roller house. Uh, and the rule is accidents are allowed. And uh, our kids know that rule, and we know that rule, and, and by God's grace, we do our, our best to embody that rule. And what we're trying to communicate is to our children, you don't get in trouble for accidents. Like if you drop something, that's very human to drop something. You spill something, it's an accident. Accidents are allowed. You don't get in trouble for those things. Uh, I'm home uh, studying a few months ago, and it's just me and our youngest, Ayla, and I was uh, in the room studying, and she was somewhere. And, and I, at some point, I realized that it had been really, really quiet, which is always a sign that something has happened. And so I uh, uh, walked out of the room, and I walked into the kitchen uh, to check on her. And there is orange juice all over the counter, all over the counter. It, it had gotten on papers. It got on a computer. It was dripping onto the floor. It was a mess. And Ayla was nowhere to be found. And so I call out, Ayla, where are you? And I start walking around our house looking for her. I checked every room, which, which didn't take long. I said that like it was a big deal. We don't live in a castle. It took me like uh, 40 seconds. But I found her in her room, in her closet, crying. 
And I said, Ayla, what's wrong? And she looked up at me and she goes, have you gone into the kitchen? <laughs> and I said, yes. And she put her face in her hands and she goes, there's orange juice everywhere. And I said, I know. But I said, Ayla, why are you hiding? And she said, I thought you'd be mad at me. And I said, I'm not mad at you. Accidents are allowed. And then we went and we, we cleaned it up together. I did about 90%. She did about 10%. <laughs> you know what struck me? And, and I don't, I'm not saying that I've embodied this perfectly. I haven't. But what struck me is as much as we try to fight against that, as, as much as I, by God's grace, try and communicate to her, I'm not the kind of dad that gets mad at spilled orange juice. I'm not the kind of dad that punishes accidents. As much as we try to communicate that, she still hid. She was still afraid. And what happens is, is she made a mess, and then she made a decision about dad. I made this mess. Dad gets mad at messes. What can I do? I can run. I can hide. And beloved, there is a powerful pull in my heart and your heart to do the same thing when it comes to God, to be afraid of God. And if you've been around for any length of time, you know this, the rule in God's house is there is grace for sin. There is uh, Jesus, our Savior, died. He rose. He has made a way through a bloody cross and an empty tomb for us to be made right with God, for us to move towards God. But then what happens? We make a mess. We sin. Uh, foolishness spills out of our life, and we make a mess, and then we make a decision about what kind of God our God is. I made this mess, and then I think God gets mad at messes. What can I do? I can run. I can hide. And that hiding takes on all kinds of grown-up forms, right? All kinds of religious forms. It looks like doing more and more good things to try and atone for the mess, or it's trying to pretend like we are less messy than all the other messy people around us, or it's telling ourselves it's not that bad because people have done way worse. But, but the question is this, what if God's just not like that? What if he's more like a father searching the house to remind his child that he's the kind of God that meets messes with grace? You know what the fear of the Lord is? The fear of the Lord is not downplaying sin. It's not deceiving ourselves into thinking it's not a big deal. But the fear of the Lord is, I made a mess, and my God has grace for me, even in the sin, even in the evil. What can I do? I can run to him. I can move closer towards him. And you know what that moving towards God makes us? Wise. Because if the God who loves us at our worst the God who can see all the ugly that spills out of our life, if we can move towards him in those moments, then we can trust him with everything else. We can move towards him with our worship and, and, and our relationships and our suffering and our gifts and our money and our, our words, and I can stay low before him and stay close to him, and that's the fear of the Lord. Don't be afraid of God. Don't run. Don't lie to yourself. Don't, uh, when you see God, don't see him with a face that's scowling at you and disgusted in you. That's being afraid of God. And the Bible says, don't fear. Instead, fear the Lord. Believe that he's the kind of God that searches the house to remind us of the grace that we've forgotten about. Life is hevel. Be grateful. It's our next one. Life is hevel. Be grateful. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 and 13 he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. 
Life is hevel. Be grateful. The most unexpected thing that happened for me in the wisdom series, by far, uh, was how God used the book of Ecclesiastes, of all books, to comfort me and to change me and to confront me and to help me. Uh, of all of the truths that have kind of, I think the one that has stuck most is the truth that came out of the pages of, of this book. And why it's unexpected, if you don't know anything about Ecclesiastes, if you've been here, you've heard me say this a few times now, but Ecclesiastes is a book that has a problem with life. The book reads as being cynical and almost negative uh, and, and accuses life throughout the book of being hevel. And hevel is a Hebrew word that means smoke. And what Ecclesiastes is saying about life is, is if you just think about this smoke cloud that just kind of billows in the air for a minute and then it's gone. That's life. That's hevel and life is hevel. Life is short, it's saying. Um, yesterday, my youngest turned five. And this afternoon, we have a princess unicorn party for her. If you want to know what Ayla is like, she's the kind of girl that wants a princess unicorn party. She's sweet and magical. Uh, we're at Home Depot on Thursday, and I'm there because uh, I have this way of convincing myself I have man skills that I don't actually have. Uh, but we're there, and we bought some things that I don't know how to use, and we're checking out, and she announces to the guy at the counter. He's probably twice my age. She announces to the guy at the counter, uh, my birthday's in two days. And the guy at the counter said, how old will you be? And Ayla said, I'll be five. And he said, I remember when my daughter was five. Now she's engaged. And Ayla said, what's engaged? <laughs> and he said, it means she's going to get married. And Ayla said, yuck. <laughs> and I said, thank you, God. Thank you. Uh, here's what's true. Right now, I'm a dad whose daughter just turned five. One day... I'll be a dad who remembers when his daughter was five. And what Ecclesiastes would say is that day's gonna come faster than you can even imagine. Like smoke, life will feel so short. An older friend told me the other day, last week we had this conversation, and he said, hey, uh, you don't lose your kids at 18, you lose your kids at 16. Once they start driving, they're gone and you, just never, you never see them again. So I started doing the math, the years that I have left until each of my kids turns 16, and I'm like, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. I'm going to lock them in their rooms and make them spend time with me because that's how you raise healthy kids. What's <laughs> happening in all of that, the processing that I'm doing, what's happening? Oh, hevel is happening. It's smoke. Life is short. It moves so quick. The days are long. The years are short. Now, that's my life. That's how I, in the circumstances of my life, experience the brevity of life. There is some way in which all of us, regardless of your life circumstances, you're experiencing the brevity of life, even now. Hevel also means not only is life short, but life is confusing. It's complicated. It's out of our control. Um, Ecclesiastes is going to look at suffering and say, that's hevel. And it looks at injustice and says, that's hevel. And it looks at someone who watches their life's work ruined by a fool and says, that's hevel. Life is so short and life is out of our control. And in that hevel world, there's some really foolish ways to try to live. Like I can try to treat life like it's a problem that I can solve. Like I just need to make the right decisions and I need to have all the right things in my life and all the wrong things out of my life and solve the problem of life, right? And Ecclesiastes says, you can't, you can't solve Hevel. So then we treat life like it's a competition to win. We look around and compare our lives to those 
around us. Maybe we even feel this in the room right now. We want to be more attractive. We want to be more successful. We want to have more money. We want to have a better marriage. We want to raise better children. We want to be more religious. We want to be better at being a Christian. And I'm living well when I'm living better than everyone else. And Ecclesiastes says, yeah, but it's still never good enough. You can't beat Hevel. Or we try to treat life like it's some sort of right that I've earned and we live super entitled. I deserve everything I want and nothing that I don't. This life is owed to me. And you just can't function like that in a Hevel life. Hevel will turn entitlement into bitterness and despair. And all of those are foolish attempts to try to find our way in the smoke, to try to grab hold of the things about life that slip through our fingers. And here's the unexpected wisdom from the book that has been such a help to my heart. There's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift. Life is a gift. This life we have is a gift from God. I thought it was heavy. I thought it was smoke. I thought it was short and confusing. Yes, and every moment in God's world is a gift from God. And so the wise open their hands to life. We don't ignore the pain of it. We don't pretend life is easier than it is. But what grounds us in the smoke of life is the gratitude to a God who has given a life because he's good. Frederick Beekner, he's a Presbyterian minister and author. I came across this quote uh, recently, and it, I just immediately thought about the message of Ecclesiastes. He says this, listen to your life See it for the fathomless mystery it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. It's not a problem to solve, not a competition to win, not a right that I've earned. Life is a gift to receive. I wonder if you remember the prayer that we prayed where we open our hands to life. I still pray it every day and just say, God, life is a gift. You are the giver. Thank you. Wisdom's living in God's world, God's way. Wisdom has a posture. It's low. Don't be afraid of God. Fear the Lord. Life is hevel. Be grateful. Here's the next one. I, I couldn't find better words for it, so I just put it this way. What matters to wisdom needs to matter to me. Um, what happened, especially as we got into the Proverbs, is that wisdom pays attention to things. Wisdom treats certain things with a degree of seriousness that I did not expect. So maybe coming into wisdom, it's like, yeah, I know that wisdom thinks that murder is like a big problem, you know, or I think wisdom, you know, is going to say that idolatry is bad and adultery is bad. But then there's this host of things that wisdom uses language to describe that just heightens the seriousness of it in, in my, almost as if, uh, you know, wisdom offers this kind of microscope into things in our lives that I didn't think were that big of a deal. And wisdom says, you've got to pay attention to that or it'll come out of your life as foolishness. And, and I, if I just named a few examples uh, wisdom takes our words really seriously. How we speak matters to wisdom. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You talk every day. I talk every day. 
And wisdom raises the stakes. Outside of breathing, it's what we do most as humans. And wisdom raises the stakes on, this, on the importance of it. He says, you know, as you speak, maybe not every single word, but a lot of our words, they have this kind of life and death power to them. And there's words that hurt. There's words that are foolish, like gossip and slander and talking about other people's problems were not part of the solution. Remember, the wise say, I don't need to know. I know enough to know I need to pray. The fool says, tell me more so I can go and share it with people who don't need to hear it. Uh, hurtful words are angry words, impulsive words, flattering words, words that we use to try to make ourselves appear better than we are. And then wisdom names words that are wise, that, that help, true words. Uh, spoken in love, a gentle answer that turns away wrath, a word spoken in season. It means the wise have the discernment not just to know what to say, but when to say it. And the wise mostly are slow to speak. It means the wise don't talk a lot. The point is this, that, that if, if, the, if the wise are considering, is this the kind of word that hurts or is it the kind of word that heals? Is this the kind of word that's life or is this the kind of word that's death? Then I'm going to be really slow to open my mouth until I know that what I'm going to say is wise. And if the wise care about being wise, what matters to wisdom will matter to me. And that includes speaking. Wisdom takes emotion seriously. Wisdom does not treat emotion as primarily something that is happening around us that we're responding to, but something that's happening in us that we're exposed by. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 12, 16, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. So it gives, it, it highlights this category of foolishness that I just don't know that I'd ever seen before or had words before, where it's describing how being easily offended is a foolish thing to be, where I'm quick-tempered and I can't handle an insult and I'm always irritated. And it's like the internal climate of my life is so carbonated that any amount of movement and, and, and unhealthy emotion explodes out of my life. Like think about someone who always has a new story to describe the same experience of being wronged, being slighted, being offended. There's always some sort of a drama that they're giving voice to in which they are the victim and someone else is the villain. Wisdom calls that foolish, foolish. The wise know how to handle the internal climate of their life. They know how to handle emotions. The wise have a quiet spirit, a calm spirit. So if being wise matters to me, then being emotionally healthy will matter to me. Wisdom takes friendship seriously. If you had asked me, hey, what do you think is the most important relationship in the book of Proverbs? I'd say, well, you know, I know it talks about parenting a lot and it talks about marriage a lot. What I didn't expect is Proverbs going to say there's an essential relationship that you and I need that without it we can't become wise. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If wisdom is a journey, no one travels alone. No one walks wisdom's path by themselves. And the relationship that wisdom holds out as essential is friendship, loyal friends, uh, friends who aren't, aren't there to use you or they're going to bail on you when things get hard. Proverbs says a rich man has many companions, but those companions are not there because of the man. They're there because of his riches. Stay away from those kinds of friends. What you need are friends who are loyal, who are, who are born for adversity kinds of friends, but also friends who are honest with you about you especially when it's really hard to be honest with you. 
Uh, friends who have your permission to lovingly confront you when they see foolishness in you. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what the wounds of a friend are? Correction, rebu- rebuke, confrontation. So if it's been a while since someone close to you has had a conversation with you about foolishness inside of you, then there's something that matters to wisdom that needs to matter more to you. If being wise matters to me, then being known by wise friends will matter to me. Goodness, friends, my list is so long. I don't have time for it. Uh, Handling suffering wisely matters to wisdom. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. Wounds don't heal themselves. It's not true that time heals all wounds. Sometimes time just gives wounds more time to fester, and festering wounds comes out of our life as foolishness. So we need healing. We need Jesus, his wounds that heal Uh, Repenting of envy matters to wisdom. Envy makes the bones rot. How to handle work and rest and money. The homes that we were raised in, looking back with wisdom and asking, did we learn wisdom there? Did we learn foolishness? The homes that we're leading and living in now, wisdom cares about that. All of that matters. I've said it this way. I've just found wisdom to be incredibly demanding. It has been both wider than I expected and deeper than I expected. But I also, friends... I don't want to pick and choose what wisdom I pay attention to, what wisdom I think I need, and what wisdom I don't, because that's just another way of being right in my own eyes, and that's what fools do. What matters to wisdom needs to matter to me, which means getting on the ground with wisdom in every single part of my life. Last one is this, then we'll pray. Uh, Wisdom is a person. It's Jesus. We grow wise in relationship with him. You know, I've sat with a question the last few weeks, knowing that uh, wisdom is coming to an end. Um, The wisdom series is coming to an end. I think this is probably more of a comma than it is a period, because I imagine we'll revisit this uh, in the coming years. Uh, But the question that I've sat with uh, knowing today was coming, and I'm sure there are better words for it, but here's how it's, here's how I've asked it in my mind. And it's, it's this, did it work? Did it work? And I'm asking it Uh, I care about you, and so I'm asking it um, about us. Have we grown wiser? But I think what I really mean is I'm asking it for me. Am I wiser? If I think back to the coffee shop in July of 2021, feeling my need for wisdom has much changed. Like if I hold everything out uh, that we've held this morning, if I hold it next to my life, has my posture lowered? Am I more humble? Am I? Do I fear the Lord more? Do I move towards him when I sin and fail, which I do all the time, or do I move away from him? Am I grateful in this heavenly life? Do I treat life like a gift? Do all the things that matter to wisdom matter to me as much as they matter to wisdom? And here's my answer. I don't, I don't know. Some days I see wisdom working in me, and those around me see it working in me. Uh, wisdom's pace is slow, I know that, so I want to keep that in mind. But though sometimes I wonder, friends, is um, I wonder if the wisdom series, all it's done is given me more specific ways to describe what's wrong with me. But here's the beautiful news, and I am holding on to this beautiful news. Wisdom isn't just truths and proverbs and principles. Wisdom is a person. It's Jesus. He is wisdom personified, and what he offers is grace for foolishness and an invitation to walk this life with him. My big conclusion, after a year and a half in wisdom, the big conclusion is this. Jesus is wise. 
He's wonderful and gentle and loving and kind. He has grace for my spills. He's patient with my foolishness. And what wisdom, the thing that wisdom has taught me most is that I need him and he loves me and he loves you. And if wisdom is a fight, it's the kind of fight that without Jesus we cannot win, but with Jesus we cannot lose. So even when the messenger feels far from the message, my Savior is close to me and close to you. Church, wisdom calls out, cries aloud in the street, invites you and I to live in God's world, God's way. Wisdom has a posture, it's low. We grow wise as we're humble. Wisdom has a pace, it's slow. We grow wise over time. Wisdom is a person, it's Jesus. We grow wise in relationship with him. So come to him. May we hold on to him as he holds on to us. And in that embrace, we grow wise together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness, for your grace. Help us, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you that you've made your wisdom known. Thank you that you you didn't just put wisdom in the ground like running water, but you put wisdom on the cross in a bloody Savior that he might raise again in victory over sin and death. And wisdom's voice from Proverbs 8 becomes Jesus' voice in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And you make us wise. We love you. We need you. Amen.